coming for more men. Lots of talking, but never ever gets boring. Rounding up the humorous stuff in the news about more men. Here we are, everyone, in the wake of Disney Plus becoming a reality. It's a new era. And because Latter-day Saints love Disney, you know what I'm talking about. Welcome to This Week in Mormons, everyone. This Week in Latter-day Saints. Whatever you want to call us, I don't care anymore. It's fine. We're happy to bring you the greatest in Latter-day Saint news. Uh, if you haven't joined us before, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to tune in and give us a shot. We hope you'll find it agreeable and that you'll hit that subscribe button, smash it hard on whatever you're using to listen, and leave us a review if you're so inclined. Uh, and as always, we encourage you to go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash This Week in Mormons if you'd like to contribute a buck a month to help us keep the lights on. And visit us at thisweekinmormons.com and on our various social media channels. All of those things would be good and wonderful and of good report, I dare say. Yes, I dare. The man on the other end today, however, because I don't do this alone, that show would be too much for even my wife. Everybody, Kurt Frankham from Leading Saints is here. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be back with you. It's, I, you sound I, exhausted. I, what was that? This is my uh, this is my NPR voice, Jeff. I'm just grateful to you be You don't even listen here. to NPR. We established that on a show like a year so ago. So grateful to be in your uh, mop closet here. Did you forget uh, about the NPR show? I did not forget about that. When you that. thought all of NPR was This American Life, and that was the only thing they had on the air? I did not make that argument. <laughs> you, are, you are simplifying, minimizing my... Uh, my argument there, but uh, sorry to tear you away from your uh, Disney Plus. Are you actually a subscriber of Disney Plus? Yes, I am. I've barely used it. I got up this morning and loaded it up and started perusing. What is it? But T- 10, 12 bucks a month? No, it's seven dollars a month. Oh, seven. That's nothing, right? No. Yeah, but you're keeping seven, the Netflix, se- right? It's seven dollars a month, which would be eighty-four dollars a year. But if you pay annually, it's like seventy bucks a year. So they cut it down even more. What are you most excited to uh, dive into on Disney? Plus? I'm admittedly not even sure yet. I mean, I grew up like a lot of people on like Disney stuff, and I think I have a soft spot for the great 80s and 90s of Disney. Like when you had the Disney Channel as a kid, if you had that, it wasn't all these terrible, weird live action shows they have now. It wasn't Hannah Montana or whatever's come since. No, it was like a couple random shows, and then you'd see a bunch of cool old Disney cartoons. And I love old the old Disney tunes from the '40s. Oh yeah, all of those are there. Donald Ducks, the Goofies, yep. the yeah. The the funny thing is, they come with a little disclaimer. Uh, I looked up an old Chip and Dale cartoon. I remember there was this one I loved as a kid when Chip when Donald Duck is a lumberjack and Chip and Dale oh, yeah. sport him. Absolutely. Yeah. So it says right here when Donald. Um, no, so it says at the end, and this is for a lot of the old short cartoon shorts, it says, this program is presented as originally created. It may contain outdated cultural depictions. Oh, geez. Disney. So PC, you know. So woke, man. Woke <laughs> They're woke. Disney. Disney's woke. Um, so uh, do they have- I'm excited like, for The Mandalorian, though. That'll be, we'll see how that goes. So I'll they pretty it. much have like all of the full-length animated movies on there, like all the classics and everything? As in Disney speak, they have opened the vault. Open the vault. They won't go back. They've been using the, that, that phrase for decades. They have, and it's been this kind of stingy Disney way to say, "Well, we're going to put it back in the vault until there's a new form of physical." We need to turn on our pump. our printing presses here. Exactly, like they they'll put it out. They'll open the vault to put something on DVD, then make it disappear, and then when Blu-ray's back out, they'll I don't know. So I, most stuff is there. I have not done like a full catalog search to know like if, what random films might be missing, but they've got Disney films, they have Pixar films, they've got the Marvel movies, they've got the Lucasfilm creations, you know, Star Wars and what have you. So it's a big deal. And they have a lot of the content that they got from the Fox merger. So none of this would have happened without them buying 20th Century Fox. So can I watch so you, my, my Simpsons uh, seasons? 
They actually did. You can stream the entirety of The Simpsons. Are on you Disney serious? Plus. Yeah. Whole, the whole show. <laughs> you know, I, I've been slowly building a library of some of these uh, old Disney movies for my kids, you know, like Little Mermaid. We got Lion oh, King. There, there. It's all and, there. And I flush that money down the toilet. There you go, Disney. I guess I I've can- done this. I've done this too. I've, I've acquired, you know, copies of things over the years, whether physical or like you buy a digital one and then I'll put it up on like a Plex server or something like that. But now it's all just there. And isn't the, uh, I've seen some headlines around saying that like, like obviously like, uh, you know, if you bought a Disney movie, like we bought all of these Disney movies through Amazon, but if they take the licensing away from Amazon, they could just disappear even though I, you know, quote, bought the movie. That could potentially and presumably happen in any situation where you've purchased digital media. And that's the big downside. Like you might buy these things, but maybe you have them on different services. There are some services, I think like Movies Anywhere, which tries to be like a single sign-on to access all the different places where you've potentially purchased films over the years. Like if it's iTunes or Fandango or Google Play or Amazon or what have you. But you always run the risk of that. I mean, it's true. If, if you buy physical media, the only thing you're going to run the risk of is the technology itself being obsolete. Yeah. But as as someone at my mom's house probably still has boxes of old Disney VHS tapes. Yeah. It's the always padded, there. Uh, padded plastic uh, boxes, right? The, that's how you knew it was legit, man. They didn't right. just give you some some cardboard thing. No way. Yeah. It and was to, real. To kind of dovetail into a, a Latter-day Saint uh Topic in in, really, in relation That's good. to media. I, I did not know there was one from this, so I'm glad. <laughs> no, like my my wife decided to do the trial of living scriptures. We didn't even have we didn't even I have, have the guy okay. knock on our door. We just did it. Have you done this, Jeff? Have you experienced? Uh, I've long been interested in living scriptures, and as recently as this weekend, my I was telling my father, my uh, my brother in law, I was like, I've been trying to find like a good place to just you know, I wanted to see just like random church old church movies this or that like not just find them on youtube he was like dude we've got the living scriptures log and just use mine i said okay so so as recently as like sunday night i too was downloading living scriptures. oh really perusing it yeah so but i want go ahead this is your story well no i'm just curious well i'm just uh, i've been uh to be honest i'm i am more impressed than i expected you should probably reach out to living scriptures before you publish this so they can sponsor this and write you a check before they pulled you deserve and and before they pull the sponsorship after what i'm gonna say next (laughs) That's true. Um, but like they have these uh, clips for, you know, that follow, come follow me. Like for yeah. instance, we just, yeah, yeah. we just studied uh, the book of Hebrews and, and it does this whole whiteboard animation about what Hebrews is and what it covers and puts it into context. And like, even my four-year-old sits there and, you know, they're about like, I don't know, 10 minutes or so to go through this. And my four-year-old just sits there and just is intrigued by uh, this, you know, animation happening on the screen. And, and I sit there and I'm learning all sorts of stuff about Hebrews and, and other books, you know, in the, the New Testament. I saw those. I saw those when I was looking around, but I didn't watch any of them. I yeah. Was no, I, I recommend them. I was impressed by that. And then my kids, of course, uh, my wife, I guess she, her family did the Living Scriptures subscription when she was uh, young. My my parents, bless their heart, were, uh, uh, well, how do I say, too cheap to uh, consider things. Dude, because uh, Living Scriptures in the previous tape format was a racket. <laughs> to be clear, sure. Folks, you can sponsor this program because I support what you're doing now. But back in the 80s, when they'd charge you like $25 per tape for was a 20-minute video. Was that how much it was? For okay. a 20-minute video. It was really expensive. I retract my statement. Got. My parents weren't yeah. cheap. They were they were rational. They were sensible people sensible on a Sensible people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, it was pretty much a, a ripoff then. But now it's like, I don't know what, uh, after the trial, what. But I, I think we may keep it for a bit because it's nice that 
you know, I, I appreciate that though the animated scripture stories aren't like uber accurate or historical or whatever, but I think that gives them a foundation of context to begin to think about some of these stories. In, in this well, way. and look at it this way, though. Like, are they inaccurate? I mean, are they any less accurate in the animated Book of Mormon stories than the church's recent live action productions, with dra- which dramatize all sorts of things as well? Yeah, I haven't been enjoying these Book of Mormon ones as much as the New Testament ones or the Bible. Video. I think, that, is it just me or do they feel like they're sort of like cheaper? Well, yeah, well, and I think... You know what I mean? Like the I production values seem weirder compared to the Bible series. I think what it is is just that they that they do dramatize it, right? Where in the Bible videos, they went word for word from the scriptures. And just to hear a, you know, a, a Christ-like figure, actor, who, who is a fantastic Jesus Christ, uh, you know, depiction... Uh, state these resident, things. By the way. Yes, he is. I follow him on Instagram. He's a good follow. It's weird to see like He's a Jesus out in the, his backyard. What's it? What's his name though? If people want to follow him, you got to give oh, him a geez. shout okay, out. Okay, I'll look it up. But um, where was I going, Jeff? Um, we never know. Oh yeah, the Book of Mormon. Where, so they use the scriptures word for word, right? And I just feel like that brought an extra layer of reverence. Where it's now the Book of Mormon's like Nephi, what are you doing over there building a boat? Ha ha ha! Like it's just not as is good, but I don't know how else. It's tough because I don't know how else they would do it, especially have so much of, material to cover. And the Book of Mormon is even more narratively driven than the Bible. I mean, obviously there are key milestones that happen throughout the Bible, but for the most part, the four Gospels repeat stuff, and you, it lends it. The New Testament lends itself really well to a bunch of vignettes based on the, the Christ's parables and things like that. And that's what those videos are. But yeah, the Book of Mormon is much more of a a saga. At the very least, though, it's going to be great because we're going to get past, you know, the Book of Mormon movie. From, right. Well, and I feel like it's got a slight flavor of that Book of Mormon movie. Like, it's just like, I don't know. I'm, I have been trying to find a gif of the near the very end of that that very not good film <laughs> when Kirby Hayborn's Sam character decides, he's like, I miss my brothers, Nephi. We need to go back and find them. And Nephi resists and finally, in, a, in like a Martin Harris situation, he's like, fine, go. And and that's when they spent all their money on the helicopter shot of Kirby Hayborn walking along like a mountain crest in, in Kauai or somewhere. And But then he stumbles upon his brothers reveling in idolatry around a fire, like savages. And the last shot, and he's so sad about it. Right, right. And then the camera zooms, pans over to Layman, I believe, who's now has long hair and makeup and all sorts of wild things. And he looks right at the camera and like Gene Simmons, the thing, like sticks his tongue out and just goes, like breaking the fourth wall. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it. Like That's the movie. The movie's basically over at that point. And that's how it ends. And it's really sad they didn't get the rest of the Book of Mormon movie. Yeah. (laughs) And I, I have a memory in my mind somewhere. I saw like a, an interview with the director of that and he like why he was inspired to to make that movie. And he sort of, you know, I, I saw he says, I saw the Ten Commandments when I was a child and I knew there needed to be an equivalent. Oh, yeah. Book he was of a Mormon. Cecil B. DeMille for sure. And, and your heart just breaks for the guy because you're like, oh, my goodness, this was this was so far from. I mean, obviously, the, when was the Ten Commandments filled in the. 40s to 50s? 1950, like 1959. Um, I mean, it was a stunning piece of, you know, cinematic work, right? And and this guy totally misses it. And of course, I guess funding fell through for the sequel, Jeff, because I'm still- Get out! Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh my. God. So uh, John Voss is actually the actor That's what uh, who Voss. plays Jesus Christ. Uh, he's a filmmaker as well, um, and his handle is I M, as in the the letters I M, Fossible, F O S S I B L E. But uh, yeah, it's uh, he's he's doing some great work, and he's quite the <gasps> artist. And Kurt, actor. you have a Pixel Four. I do. I just got it, Jeff. Oh man, we could digress more on this program. I'd love your thoughts on that. I've I've been I'm still pixel oneing, you know. Oh right really? Well, get with Did you guys everyone here wanted to hear about Disney Plus and Android politics. That's why they're here. So That's right. <laughs> um I need to watch more of the Book of Mormon videos though, the new ones. I have Yeah, I've only done. watched a couple. And we're already like 7 or 8 weeks in at this point and I've and they're only running through Christmas. Right, I think it's like the, I think it's the Friday after Christmas is the last, that's going to be Enos. I believe it stops at Enos this season, which I'm excited about. Oh, and then they'll have another season with the the next section yeah. of. Well, they've already started filming season three. They've wrapped season two. They're way ahead of the curve here as far as production to air. But uh, I don't know how the Book of Enos is going to be when it's uh, you know a full video because he's alone. There's no like dialogue, and he just prays the whole time. So I think that should be. Very interesting to watch. I'm curious to see what they do to make that. Well, see, and that's a segment that you could do word for word, right? I mean, that's a beautiful. That's true. Piece of you could have him, you could have him just narrate it while he's doing yeah. his acting. Get a solid actor who can really just put the emotion into it. You know, uh, the only actor you ever need is the one who John Voss. Call John Voss. He's available. No, John Voss can't. I mean, he did that series, but I think people might. I forgot the name of the guy who I, oh, this is bad of me. Kirby Hayborn. No, everyone knows Kirby Hayborn and his new show on BYU TV is very good. But no, the guy who plays Joseph Smith in the old Joseph Smith movie, he also oh, plays yeah. Peter in the Bible videos. People have told me I look like him. Yeah. Huh? You almost, you almost look more like John Voss. No, he actually, if you look at my brother, if you see my brother, my brother looks a lot like him, but uh, I had a few people. Mentioned well, that to me, and I'd say, "Hey, I don't mind if I look like Joseph Smith." That guy's been in a lot of stuff. He, yeah, he's, he's he's even in. Um, if you go to the San Diego in San Diego, the Mormon Battalion Visitor Center, he's everywhere. He's in that too. Yeah. He, he's made a whole career out of it. I don't know what just happened, but I heard a four-year-old upstairs go, <laughs> Sounds like sounds uh, a four-year-old. Kids are awesome. Kids are awesome. Hey, real quick before we get to news, Kurt, uh, tell me about the Leading Saints Live. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad you created some space here for me, Jeff, because this Saturday, November 16th, if you are in the Salt Lake area, the Wasatch Front, let's oh, say- don't care. What? Uh, sorry. I mean, what I meant Come to say on, was- Jeff. Okay, continue. Um, I, and I have an option if you're not, but if you're in the, the area, you should come to the Salt Lake Community College Miller Campus at the, free, the Miller Free Enterprise Building, and there we will be having Leading Saints Live, where we have five phenomenal speakers- uh, Anthony Sweat, Wendy Ulrich, uh, myself, Dan Duckworth, and uh, Jody Moore, the one and only Jody Moore, will all be speaking at this conference. And it's just a, you know, we do the podcast, we get people listening, but uh, it's fun to get people in a in a room that in the flesh and bone and uh, and have an event and so, learn about so that's leadership. A, and so. so the format is you're having a podcast with all five of them at once. No, it's not a or podcast off. recording, uh, though okay, it will so be you're recorded. Not... It's just a conference, so they'll each have 70 minutes to talk, and uh, okay, we'll so learn from talk. them, and they'll interact with the audience. But we are going to stream it as well. So if you do, or if you are in Spain or 
Argentina or wherever, you can go to leadingsaints.org, and right there on the homepage, you can register for the stream, and it's free. Just register with your email, and then we'll send you a link that morning to uh, tune in. So uh, it's great. Looking forward to it. Now, if I were to 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 play devil's advocate, what can I expect to get out of this from you or your speakers that I that I haven't received otherwise previously? These are all movers and shakers. So, like, what what is this going to bring me that's new? A handshake, Jeff. You can literally walk up to us and shake our hand. Okay, I'm not in Utah. What is this going to do for me? <laughs> I don't know. It's just I mean, it's just good leadership thought. It's just just like. Five episodes on one day. That's what you get. Is anyone from the church uh, office building going to be in attendance to okay your words, to uh, to fact check, anything like that? Rumor has it. Okay, I don't want to spread any rumors, but Elder Bednar may say the opening prayer. Attaboy. I'm just putting that out there. It may be false, but hey, you'll have to come and find out. And before he starts his prayer, he will stand there and say, what I'm about to do is I'm going to show you the way one is going to pray. And I will illustrate it through three different points throughout my prayer that will support the thesis I lay out in the beginning of my prayer, after which I will issue closing remarks of thanks and praise and conclude with the collective amen. No, he'll probably just stand there and shut the whole thing down. That's probably what happened, Jeff. That'd be fun, too. (laughs) I'm like, hey, you're going to spot me for the rental price of this venue? Oh, they should have comped it. Well, that's... Dude, I hope people go to that. That sounds good. Yeah, I would no, go, it's going to be If fun. I were in Utah, I would be there, man. And I would uh, be just there. be clear, there will be no general authority president that I know of. So, Which is a shame. I mean, that's that's a missed opportunity for you. You must be really kicking yourself about the way you're running your organization there. <laughs> well, Kurt, can't all win. Can't win every day. That's right, you? Jeff. That's right. Well, folks, it's a, it's a grab bag of different other news items this week. Lots of interesting things. Of course, the, I mean... I think we'd be remiss if we didn't address the biggest story of the week by far, which affects us broadly as Latter-day Saints, uh, even if not our church itself. So uh, in case you somehow missed this, uh, due to drug cartel violence, uh, nine Americans who are professed Mormons but of a different sect uh, were ambushed in northern Mexico. They lived in the Mexican colonies there, uh, polygamists, and they were murdered through this ambush of drug cartels. This story has been everywhere, and it's it's a, a terrible tragedy, and it's also played far longer than I thought it would as far as news cycles go. Uh, I've been pretty surprised how long this has just been coming up and coming up. I don't know if it is the media's fascination with Mormon polygamists and that whole angle of it, um, and it's Americans, of course, who got killed in Mexico, but it's terrible. A mother, a number of children... Uh, most accounts say this wasn't just like stray fire. This was like straight up direct, you know, execution like fire. Uh, and it's just a horrible, horrible tragedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Four boys, two sad. girls and three women were killed. And many, men, many of them are leaving now. A lot of them are American citizens and they're just abandoning Mexico altogether and, uh, going up to Utah. It's been a terrible tragedy. And I think what's been very interesting in the wake of this, of course, has been the out the the response on social media. It's been different. I think there's I been. I haven't been following it, Jeff. What have I oh, missed? Well, on many circles, a lot of people have just you know have expressed outrage and just this is terrible. This is terrible. Eventually, there's the one person in a thread who feels the need to uh, correct the record and say, "Guys, these aren't actually members of our church," <laughs> which is a, an important fact to get across. But inevitably, that person comes off as callous and insensitive to the larger situation, even if they're not intending to act that way. 
But I saw a lot of that. There's always somebody who just says, guys, these are like polygamists. They're not us. Like they didn't kill Mormons. They killed wannabe Mormons. I guess it opens up the discussion about what defines a Mormon as well right. or a Latter-day yeah, Saint. It's, it's interesting because, you know, if it, basically, I don't know the details about, you know, how the Baptist church works or whatever, but I don't think, uh, you know, there's one central point for you know, a membership record in the Baptist church that you're either in the, the main church or not. Like there's just different Baptist churches and well, yeah, is we're, what more, it is we're and, more organized than that. Yeah. yeah. And so it's sort of interesting that we're, we have such a bureaucracy to our uh, faith tradition that, yeah, there it's, there's like a, a solid line between what a member is and isn't. But at the same time, like as we grow and become a more and more of an international church, like there's just going to be more of this where some of these offshoots of the church, no matter when it was, they define themselves as Mormons or Latter-day Saints or whatever it is. And so we just need to say, okay, sure. If you, we'll call you that. And we, and why don't we just default to call them as part of our people, you know, regardless of if they really do have a, a bishop with the correct authority or, those types of things, you know, so. And it's a, it's kind of a interesting line. I feel like we've ever since the uh, succession crisis following the death of Joseph Smith, we've never really stopped battling amongst the sects for supremacy, right? And obviously the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is, is the supreme one, not just because we believe that doctrinally, but, you know, by far and away has more members and resources than any of the other groups, whether it's those that have eschewed polygamy, like the Community of Christ and others, or whether it's fundamentalist groups that have continued to uh, follow it. We all sort of trace our history back to that common core. And then there was just people who believe that Brigham Young wasn't the deal. Yeah. And I think any any sect or uh, group that, you know, has their roots in, in the Latter-day Saint tradition, like their success can only promote our, our general success, right? I mean, obviously there's some breakoffs that have done horrible things with polygamy and, you know, underage marrying and things like that. But in general, I, because this, these individuals, I don't think they, were they in a polygamous type uh, tradition or yes? Oh yes. Yes. But, uh, but maybe not in the, uh, the, the, uh, what's his name? Jeff's. uh, No, they weren't, they weren't Jeff Sessions. No, no, no. They were uh, another different group. There's been a lot of correcting of the record to find out which group has been which. And all of this. And I should correct something I said. I didn't want to imply that every polygamist obviously did not want to follow Brigham Young because Brigham Young, of course, supported polygamy. You know, that was a big part of our history. And I have appreciated that a couple of news outlets have run stories explaining why Mormon offshoots fled to Mexico. And you could even correct that and say it wasn't just Mormon offshoots. I mean, members of the church, like sanctioned by Salt Lake City, members in good standing, also went to Mexico way back when. I descend from that line. I'm only a couple generations removed. My grandmother was was in a polygamist family in Mexico. and She was from the fourth wife. And these were active in good standing Latter-day Saints. But back when, they went to Mexico to avoid U.S. law to continue polygamy after the manifesto. And even after the second manifesto, I mean, obviously, you're talking my grandmother was born in the 1920s. And it was still go- it was still kicking then. You know, it took a while for it to kind of stick. But of course, there were others that went to Mexico that were either offshooted at a different point. Uh, but it has been good that we've seen some more explanations as to why we have Mormon colonies in the first place. And it's rooted in a lot of different things. And I'm not the main church history expert. Part of it's rooted in polygamy and being able to continue doing it, not under the auspices of U.S. law. Uh, part of it was part of just Brigham Young's plan to just colonize everything. You know, I mean, he sent people up and down every which way. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I did just finish reading Saints Volume One, so I am pretty much an expert when it comes to this. No, you're not because Saints Volume One does not get that far. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, it talks about this the succession crisis. Saints Volume One basic I haven't read it for a year. It basically ends after ends arrival like, in Salt Lake, or or does it? No, end no, when they, it when, ends when with uh, Brigham Young taking over, and then they're just leaving now. They're just leaving, right? That's when it kicks off. I need. I know. I haven't read the first couple of uh, the released chapters of volumes. Two. I'm going to wait, Jeff. I want the whole enchilada. The Succession Crisis, though, should be good. I, I think that's important study for any Latter Day Saint. I don't think it's a slippery area where you're, you know, you're looking for trouble or anything like that. I don't. Uh, it's nothing. First of all, I don't agree with that that kind of premise in general. Right. But especially not this. This is just knowing your history. Like you can be a member of our church and realize there were competing interests when Joseph Smith died and kind of understand the rationale behind a lot of it. Like, you know, who was James Strang? Why did Sidney Rigdon feel like he was entitled? Why were there all these different offshoots over time? And how does that affect church history today? Why is it now in Independence, Missouri, you basically have four different Latter-day Saint churches that own like different land at an intersection near where the temple was supposed to be in Independence, for example. Like we have lot of interesting history there, and so much of it is tied to no one, quote, people not being on the level as to who was supposed to take over after Joseph Smith was killed. Right, and I think it's easy to just assume, like, oh, if I lived back then, I would obviously follow Brigham Young, I mean, because he was, you know, the obvious successor, but I think it was a really difficult uh, dynamic that they were dealing with, you know, that, uh, you know, I because there was no written law that, the, you know, that this is how it works. Or, I mean, I don't know if yeah. maybe there was something written, but there was still some, a lot of gray area. I mean, I think well, Sidney were, Brigden wasn't just completely power hungry, but I think he really believed that he had a, a right to, to lead. Yeah, well, there were various kind of competing revelations or statements over the years yeah. that led people to believe that. I mean, going farther back is like as Edward Partridge, when they were settling more in independence years ago, there was a revelation that said, like, you're taking this thing over when it's all done. That can change, of course. I mean, there were revelations about a lot of things, and because of the saints' failure or because of different circumstances, you know, they don't come to pass, and that's that's okay. That's how things are. But like even Sidney Rigdon was kind of on the outs by the time Joseph Smith was killed. He was living back in Pennsylvania. He only returned following Joseph's death to try to make the case for running the church. But he was so speaking, yeah. Jeff, of succession crises. Yes, um, did these you experience types one of- recently in your stake? What's that? Did you experience one recently? Was it was well, it intense? Well, I'm just saying that in general, in our you know, we go through secession crises all the time. When a bishop is released, what on earth do we call him? Well, you're you'll be happy to hear that LDS Living has tackled this question: Should we still call a former bishop bishop? Oh, there are mixed opinions on this. That's okay. right. Now, okay. speaking myself as a former bishop, I'll. Have you know that I go to church every Sunday and not one person calls me bishop? But is that because you've moved since you were bishop and you're in a different stake and nobody knows you? I mean, shouldn't there be some type of general announcement, Jeff, when I move into a ward to notify everybody to call me bishop? I mean, I have actually learned that because my bishop, quick tangent, wanted to know if we could put together a spreadsheet of like people's previous callings. So we could get a better idea of who's done what. And we're like, oh, that doesn't exist in LCR. Yeah. Like, it's not there. Right. The church doesn't track that. But I, I've, uh, some little birdies have told me, they said, well, the church does track that stuff. They just don't make it available for anybody else. So don't worry, Kurt. There is a record of you being a bishop somewhere. That's what I'm just trying now, to Now I'm being facetious, obviously. But uh, this, this record, or this, this, uh, 
article talks about how, uh, you know, the old saying, once a bishop, always a bishop, because yeah. it is an ordained office. Right. And so if I ever have the opportunity to serve as a bishop again, they will not ordain me as a bishop. They will just set me apart as a bishop. Explain this to me, though. You were ordained to the office of bishop. Explain to our listeners, though, why, if you were to look at your records, presumably, though, it says high priest. Right. Why doesn't it say bishop? Because your office is a bishop. Why doesn't it say you are a bishop? I don't know, Jeff. Because I guess it's sort of a, I'm, I'm, I hold two offices at once when I'm a, a bishop, and uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know these the answers to these questions, Jeff. But it is what it is. It's just <laughs> that's why it kind of feels more traditional than than anything, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so the, this article concludes that yes, it is appropriate to call a to refer to a former bishop as bishop. When we do, however, it would be wise for us to remember the person who has been newly called as bishop is the person who now holds the keys in the ward. Now, I'd sort of speak uh, uh, I'd speak lightly on this issue just because I kind of think it's silly. Because like I said, I'm a new ward, and th- this dynamic is interesting in our culture because I've moved a couple times the last few years, and you move into a ward, and of course, it's not like I'm wearing it on my sleeve, like, oh yes, I've been a bishop and in a stake presidency, just so you know that I'm, you I have been, that, uh, you know, honored with such privilege. Um, but, but it's sort of this thing that uh, then somebody finds out, or maybe, uh, or you know, gets gets around, and people are coming to me, oh, you've been a bishop, and then it's just weird just weird in general. But um so to me I'm just like when the get when the bishop gets released, let's just move on. Like I get that once a bishop always a bishop, but it's sort of relieving when I was released. Sometimes people just came up and called me Kurt and I just I just appreciated that, you know. But then it just sort of overflows into other callings like president, like my you know uh when I go back to my old stake, people still call me President Frankum or my my father, who was in the state presidency long ago, sometimes gets referred to as President Frank. I'm like, uh, we just sort of think that that's what we do with all these callings. Once you've reached that rank or advancement, then we, we sort of turn it into this achievement that you've done, and therefore you get uh, you get rewarded with this title for the rest of your days. Yeah, it's a gift. That's right. But now, now you say bishop, but the other funny thing is the cultural stuff we do with someone who's been a stake president. We will still refer to that individual as president so-and-so. That's where I think it's slightly different. I think the only argument for bishop is that it is an office, which I get, but it's not like we walk around and say, oh, honorific elder so-and-so. Yeah. Hello, Deacon Matthews. Now, here's another like interesting we- interesting thing about uh, uh, titles is that uh, you think about the, the patriarch in your stake. Patriarch actually isn't a title, right? You wouldn't say Patriarch Openshaw. You would just say Brother Openshaw, who is our patriarch. And the church did issue a very clear, I think, release about that a few years ago. I remember that. They said, do not call patriarchs patriarch so-and-so. Yeah, it might be in the handbook somewhere as well. I think it might be. Um, But my point with stake president, though, people call him that, but that's not an office. Stake president is not an office in the priesthood. There's no like standing for it. Yeah, it's just a calling. And I think in that sense, it's inappropriate, especially because it's not like we, for one, I personally dislike that women who are called to p- points of position or points of position, positions of leadership, um, <laughs> are sometimes by some circles referred to as president. Yes. But a lot of the time they're not. And I can tell like more officially they're just not. And right. personally that bugs me because I don't feel like yeah. the title of president is gender specific in any way. I understand the bishop argument is different. I get a priesthood office, that's fine. But if you are the president of a class or anything and people call you like 
you know, like call them president or I, you know, I, I challenge all of you both to call your Relief Society president, president so-and-so. Yeah. And also whenever she is released, continue to refer to her as president. Be, be part I, of that I definitely think change. the the momentum of our cultures headed that way. I think in ten years it'd be very common for us to refer to the Relief Society president as president, uh, at least uh, at least while they're serving that calling. Right. Um, Likewise, make sure to call the presidents of your various priesthood quorums president. Make that teacher feel awkward when you're always say like, "Hi, President Nelson," and he's like, "Oh, that's the other guy. That's not me." <laughs> Do you have a President Nelson? And your- no, I don't think we do. I just popped in my head. Oh, they're out there. My, my brother, who's a state president, his counselor is president. Uh, oh. I think it's Nielsen, but- uh, well, that's, you not, know. that's not the same thing. When I was that's an elders quorum president, I demanded people refer to me as President Openshaw. Oh, yeah. I mean that the- I demanded it. The uh, customized name badge that you would wear around on Sundays sort of gave that. No, but on the flip side of that, I didn't care as much, but I loved that my bishop at the time would walk the chapel before sacrament meeting, and he would just introduce himself as Jeff. He didn't do anything. He was not fussy at all. He'd be like, hey, I'm Jeff. Good to meet you. Nice to have you here. He wouldn't, I just loved that about him. He was so low-key about it. It wasn't trying to you know, do his title or anything like that. Real quick, while we've been looking at this article, I'm adding a new one into our list because it took two people to write this one. Lindsay Miller and Danielle B. Wagner over at LDS Living have also written, What has the church said about beards? Where, did you just find this one, or what? yeah, it was on it was on trending by this one because you know, LDS Living's top trending is the bishop one. Number two is what the church has said about beards. This was released about a week ago, a little less than a week ago. The date says November two thousand eighteen. That was released a year ago and a week ago. Oh, okay, right. I take it back. We probably didn't <laughs> talk about it. I don't know if we did or not. The point is, they say very little about what the church has actually said. They have a quote from President Oaks from forty years ago that he says a beard is quote a mark of indifference toward the best in life. So. Take that one to the bank, quotes Elder Oaks doubters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's rich. I would like to make a quick point here. They say President Oaks said in 1971, no, Elder Oaks said it. It's important when we cite references for when it was said, you either say then Elder or appropriately identify that he was not President Oaks when he made the remarks. Come on, Danielle Wagner and Lindsay Miller. Anyway, and then they say what well, the church has actually said, and they quote something from the 1993 Ensign. There's, so there's nothing here, people. If the best you can do is a 25-year-old quote from the president of the Washington, D.C. temple, you got nothing. Grow your beards and petition for BYU to let you do the same. Get kicked out. It'll be great. Now, what should I talk about this week? My goodness. Are you up, Jeff? Is it your turn here? Uh, that beard can, I did interfere. You can do another one. Go ahead. Do the okay, other okay. do the other bishop one if you uh there there's a article uh, that's getting I've seen it shared multiple times in various places uh, yeah. written by the Church News and it's uh loading now that's, that's uh, the Sydney Church Walker news, more specifically was what is a bishop's number one responsibility and how can members help here's what church leaders say so uh, I think it was it's a good follow-up clarification piece cuz uh, I've seen a lot of memes out there sort of joking about how I thought I thought we knew what was happening until Elder Cook started talking and then he showed diagrams and now we're all confused like what's going on and I think a lot of people can easily interpret the new adjustment as oh it looks like we're putting a lot more on the bishop yeah. but in reality they're just formalizing doctrine that was already there and it almost makes me wonder like I don't know the history of the young men's program and you know, when the young men presidency was put into place, but I can almost see it that 
back then people saw that the bishops were being overloaded and and so they needed um, you know some relief and so they thought well why don't we put in a young men's presidency in there to help take that ironic priesthood burden off the the bishop but then we sort of got lost in that formality and now we're going back to saying well no 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 it is the bishop's responsibility and he can call people to help him with that but if you look at the diagram it does look like whoa looks like the bishop is uh, got a lot more on his plate, and I've heard many people say that, that it looks like the bishops are getting busier, when in reality that's not the case. They're just helping refocus the bishop's priorities and where he should focus, and this is going to require the bishop to say no a lot more, right? So, um, But what's the number one job? Come, come on. What is number youth. one? Youth, right? I think now temporal. it's youth. That's what I'm feeling too. Yeah, youth and temporal matters, right? Uh, being a common judge, fast offerings, finances, temporal affairs, and here's here's this interesting thing. My uh, this past Sunday, you know, I'm uh, I was called as the young men's secretary a week before conference, and you know, boy. I, what I am, but I'm just you know, I'm just there in young men's, realizing they'll put me to work somewhere officially, uh, so I'm contributing where I can. Um, and my bishop did a great lesson this past Sunday about interviews and what youth should uh, you know expect from interviews and. Um, you know, how that process goes, if they need to set an appointment, what that's like. And I, I applaud my bishop. He did a great job. But, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk around if someone needs to confess something to the bishop, you know, what that process look, looks like. And I feel like in our culture, we have, um, I don't know if stigmatized is, is the right word, but we sort of um, altered or misunderstood the bishop's role as far as it comes to the repentance process where we feel like it would be inappropriate for, let's say, a young man who's maybe struggling with pornography, that it would be inappropriate for him to mention that to his young men's leader or his priest quorum advisor or even his his uh, the first assistant in the priest quorum, right? Uh, when in reality – and so we, we have this unwritten law that's formed that it's inappropriate to mention any of our sins to other people, and therefore we overburden the bishop with – Right. All these appointments, like I can't tell this to anybody. Like you even, I've heard of instances where people like stop the individual from talking, say no, 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 don't tell me anymore, because you must tell this to the bishop, as if they can't talk about this any. And that's any so person. dumb. Don't do that. Just listen right. to them and say, okay, well, I think it would be good yeah. for you to talk to the bishop yeah. and work. There's that nothing out. wrong with one friend to another friend or one mentor to another mentor if the person is opening up, especially the youth. You know, just listen to them, and obviously to formalize that repentance process. Yeah, it does need to go through the bishop at some point. And so, um, I don't know, that's one thought that came to me that we sort of yeah, um, yeah. We, we sort of overly formalize that process to the point that we feel like we can't mention. But one way that we can lighten the burden is be more vulnerable and open in our quorums and, and talk about these things, right? I don't know. Amen, Kurt. Well <sighs> yes, said. And there was another line I wanted to mention as far as ministers um, – Someone mentioned just this idea. I'll find the quote here in a minute, but just this idea of it said, you know, oftentimes we um, um, we go into it, you know, we're the, the ministering brothers or sisters of, of a family, and we ask the the the, the well known question of, well, is there anything that we can do for you? And they say, no, we're doing just fine. And and they sort of address this like, no, we need to be open to allowing our ministering brothers and sisters to help them, right? But I guess I just, I, and I've heard of a lot of ministering brothers and sisters get like frustrated with this dynamic, like, man, I want to serve my families, I want to do something, but they just tell me they don't need anything. 
But I think about my scenario, like I have three siblings that live within 20 minutes drive from me, my parents who live 15 minutes away. Like if I'm in need of something like serious, like I'm more likely just going to reach out to one of my family members. And I think that's the way, I think that's the pattern that we're supposed to follow. And then by the time it gets to my home or my, uh, uh, you know, ministering brothers or sisters, there's just, I, I don't have any ministering sisters for the record, but you know, there's just nothing there to go from that. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like we're we're trying to force this program to work when sometimes there's just just relax and you know there's maybe nothing to help other than be their friend. Oh boy, it doesn't sound like us at all trying to force a program to work. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I would like to interrupt this with something unrelated, but that will interest you, Kurt, based on our previous discussion about The Simpsons on Disney Plus. People are getting upset because apparently. Disney Plus is cropping the actual picture of The Simpsons. Old Simpsons episodes are in a 4-3, like more square aspect ratio, you know, like old TV. They're cropping it to make it fit widescreen, and in so doing, it's cropping out some of the visual jokes. So they're cropping out jokes from the show. You should be mad about this. I don't know if you can see this, Kurt. Here's an original. See how it's funny? It shows Duff Beer going into three different vats for like light, regular, and, uh, and dry. But it all comes yes. from one putt, one tube on Disney Plus. Oh my goodness. The humor has been the feeder pipe. That's all. Has been sacrificed. So I don't think you should subscribe. You'll just get mad and yell at the TV and upset yeah, your children. Okay. I changed my mind. I'm sticking with living scriptures. All right. Some quick mentions here. They've announced the location of the second temple, the Washington County Temple, the second St. George Temple, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's officially at this point known as the Washington County, Utah Temple which let's pause for a moment and recognize that's a dumb name for a temple and they need to think of a better one. Yeah, I noticed that you uh, sort of gave a few paragraphs to the naming of this temple. It's just weak. And also, I feel like it's not fair because I'm trying, like, so other temples that are in kind of like a, the same metro area, obviously the Salt Lake Valley is a bit different, you know, but where they're located in this temple, it's not far from Saint the St. George Temple. St. George is a developing area. It's bigger, but it's not, you know, a one million people metropolitan area. Um, and the temple's pretty much just kind of due east, a little bit south of the rest of St. George. So yeah, I don't love the name. It seems too generic to me. And also it's the fact that they're calling this like the temple for the, like it's the county temple. Like what is St. George then? You know? And I, I likened this to my growing up where you had the Los Angeles Dodgers and then the California Angels as if my team represented the whole state. So I just think we could just do better and give it... I don't know what you name it that's relevant to the area because they're just kind of yeah, building. Like, you mentioned like Dixie Temple, right? Or something. The Dixie, Utah Temple. Why not call it that? Yeah. That's adorable. The Laverkin, Utah Temple. Why not call it that? The Hurricane, Utah Temple. Hurricane. I honestly think the best name for this temple would be the Virgin River, Utah Temple, but I, don't, I think the church would be slow to adopt Virgin anything yeah. in its naming conventions. Yeah, I don't think anybody had the guts to bring that up in the in that meeting. But I legitimately sure. think that's like the best. I think that's a sensible name for it that represents the region pretty well, <laughs> broadly speaking. And, uh, and and namings of of things the church does. You know, uh, when I was in the state presidency, we were going through a boundary uh, change. Did you get so to? We had to rename. Did you get to boards. do it? Did you get to like rename them yourself, or did Salt Lake just? Dictate? Well, I had left this. The presidency by the time they got to names, so yeah, they did have to come up with names, and the church requires that you have to tie it to some type of of landmark or name that can yeah. be googled in your area. So if there's oh. a 
in, in a, a local park with a certain name, then you can name the, you know, a Lincoln Park Ward or something, right? After after the band, after of course. The, the yeah. park. But yeah. you can't, where the, the ward that I was bishop of was named the Lee Ward. And it was created like 60, 70 years ago, and it was named after President Lee, which was kind of cool, right? But there's no, when we renamed it, we couldn't, we couldn't continue with that name, or if we were going to rename it, it had to be something geographic. So I think that kind of limits it. But um, anyways, there's. Yeah, I've never been part of that process, but it seems very interesting. I mean, where I live, it's just the area where we live, and it's the first ward. We've cut, we've so far dodged that whole because I've seen the church shift this whole thing of getting rid of first, second, third wards, and if to have some cutesy name or whatever. We haven't totally hit that out here. It'll come at some point, but for now, we're just happy to be who we are. Um, another real quick mention here. Not a lot to talk about, but I appreciated the comments on the the Wikipedia entry, Utah Mormon English. And Kurt, as you are from hell, you can tell us <laughs> about all the wonders of you. The, the map on Wikipedia alone is great. I don't know how. It just shows like counties in the U.S. that are darker red based on, I don't know, how the density of speaking said language. Um, it's the con- I think it's just a map of the concentration of members of the church based on census data. That's my guess per county. Right. But uh, I love that there's an article about Utah Mormon English and the peculiarities that are very much our own within our people. Obviously, for, for me, the, the couple of tells, uh, of course, the famous, you know, major, treasure, that kind of thing. I think that's going out a bit with the older generation. I don't know a lot of younger people who pronounce things that way still from Utah. Uh, but one you do hear a lot of is a weird pronunciation of words that have an I as the first vowel, like milk like and pe- milk, pillow. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then we, uh, yeah, pillow, and uh, we like to sacrifice our teas, like hunter, uh, you know, and mountain, Layton, mountain, Layton, all these glottal Layton, Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, they even say Utah is very popular about the card cord merger, which is a merger of early modern English. Um, it's found in some Caribbean accents as well as West. Well, anyways, I guess the point. What is this card or cord? Like, what, I believe it means you mean? kind of merge together those sorts of sounds. You, like, like card and cord would sound the same. Barn and born, oh, okay. far and far. Mm. Which yeah, I've if you go to Central Utah, it's a little bit more prominent. But. The comments, though, thank you, everyone, on our Facebook page. I did not think sharing this article would drive so much hilarious commentary. Um, also in the article, it said that uh, more recently, the, recently the influx of Californians to Utah is affecting speech patterns in Salt Lake City and elsewhere along the Wasatch Front. I'm hoping that means because we are helping you speak better, brah. You know, yeah, brah. So those are my those are my contributions. Kurt, you can give us some real news now if you're interested. Yeah, did you know Russia is locking up Jehovah Witnesses? That's that true. doesn't surprise me. A Russian court has sentenced a man to six years in prison. His crime being a practicing Jehovah's Witness. And that's really just that's uh, it, huh? Yep. Yeah, I mean, it goes through the history of this. That I think it. I think it mentioned at one time Putin claimed, of course, he would not uh, lock anybody up for practicing their religion, but that uh, obviously is the direction the law is taking people. So uh, hopefully, Russia. It's their stuff figured out. Well, and this is a fact. There are more Jehovah's Witnesses than Latter-day Saints in Russia, I believe. And um, this affects us as well. I haven't heard of many arrests, but naturally, you know, the missionaries, are they're called volunteers, and they can't wear tags, and there's all kinds of restrictions if you go on a mission to Russia. 
I wonder what the uh, Jehovah's Witness efforts look like. I mean, obviously, we like we mentioned earlier, there's a lot more bureaucracy and organization to uh, you know keep our noses clean when it comes to this. They're these types pretty of organized, though. The J Dub, but do you think they're like? I, I, I mean, communicating with government officials enough to make sure they're in the up and up, or I would hope so. I don't know how savvy their media relations wings are, or their government relations wings. I mean, I know we try to be pretty, pretty. Yeah quick with that kind of stuff. I don't know what they do on that. What I do know is hopefully uh, the Russian government has not stymied the flow of wonderful publications that inevitably show illustrations of people at a park enjoying some kind of a meal. Someone's playing guitar. A watermelon is usually depicted for some reason. There's always a watermelon. Are you referring to the Watchtower? Yeah, just in general. I think Jehovah's Witness literature is awesome. I and one of my- Their stock art is top notch. In one of my mission areas, there was a kingdom hall and we'd get a little bit depressed every Sunday. We'd go out, the two of us, and then like like this this massive flutter of 30 pairs of Jehovah's Witnesses would stream out of the kingdom hall ready to take to the streets. And we were like, we know the truth. We know the truth. We have faith. <laughs> they were everywhere. But we developed an, actually a nice relationship with the, I, I forgot the name, but of their equivalent of their bishop in their congregation there, which is actually kind of a nice bit of ecumenism. We were actually working on interreligious relationships there. And he was a very nice guy and he gave us a lot of literature is what I'm getting at. And so we kept a number, we basically had a copy of their version of gospel principles. And I forgot the name of the publication. It was fascinating. We kept it on the toilet and it was the, it was, it was so interesting to get something like that because a lot of us have seen the watchtower, but to have something that sort of tried to compress all the key, doctrines and tenets of their faith into one book was very, 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 very interesting. So if anyone ever wants to do Check that. Check eBay. You can probably find a copy of you that. You can probably just go to a kingdom hall. That's true. Uh, Matthew Gong wrote a letter. You may not know who Matthew Gong is, but the last name might ring a bell. He took a guess. Yeah, he is the son of one Garrett W. Gong, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. And Matthew Gong is interesting because he is gay. And as far as he's aware, he is the only... Uh, queer, as he says, I don't think there are many people who are openly queer and whose dad is now one of the, in the highest positions of authority in the church. I mean, you have Elder Christofferson, whose brother is gay, so and we've learned a lot about that, but I, I don't think any of the other 12 have a gay son or daughter that we are aware of. So he wrote a post called Happy Birthday to Me, and it's it's pretty long, but he talks a lot about his experience coming out to his parents, trying to find a place for himself in the church. Um and basically, I'm just plugging it. It's it's worth a read. So I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I really to, enjoyed it. to get that perspective that on things. He's not felt and he's he's not tearing apart the church. I, I'm not sure that he sees exactly where he's supposed to be within the church. But I like that he says, "I wish I um." Like here, he says, the church is a complicated subject. In my head, the church is three distinct entities, and I agree with some of this. The organization, the religion, and the culture. The organization is embodied by the institutional hierarchy, the general authorities, the first presidency, and the quorum of the twelve. The religion is the collection of beliefs, dogmas, and practices that comprise worship and daily living of Latter-day Saints. The culture is dictated by the local congregations and is often the lens through which the organization is filtered. That final sentence, I believe, is the root of many issues that we wind up having in the church because the culture defines too much stuff. And all of these says, sometimes I wish I wasn't a moderate. It would be easier if I could speak in absolutes uh, about things, which is, I think that's a, that's a healthy perspective though. You know, it's too easy to want to just trash the church because you disagree with it or too easy to say, you know, fall in line, follow the prophet, have faith. I like that he is trying to think through 
uh, all of these issues. And of course, you know, he understands that there are differences in the church. There are West Coast Mormons. There are Utah Mormons. There are international Mormons. And it is silly to assume we're completely, we're one in faith, but we are, we have distinct regionalisms uh, within the church. But anyways, I can't, I can't imagine what's been like going through what he's experienced, especially that he talks about like what, when he found out his dad was going to the 12 and a lot of people called him and they're like, dude, are you okay? Like, how is this for you? I mean, when you've got a religion that's had a complicated relationship with LGBTQ issues and then to hear your dad is up there in public, you know, towing the company line, so to speak, that's, that's gotta be right. tough. And I think he mentioned just that he, he worried that this would put kind of put his, his personal situation in the spotlight, right. As yeah. the, the gay son of an apostle. Um, but I, I just appreciate his candor of it all, just sort of talking it through and how he's found some happiness in a, in a relationship. And, um, and I, I, I appreciate these again, not that I, I want, nor should I encourage that they put their personal lives and relationships out there in the open, but I just appreciate that, uh, you know, a, a family of an apostles experiencing a, a real life, you know, experience. I that's redundant, I know, but you know, just like they're human, you know, they, they deal with these things just like the rest of us do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's worth a read folks. A lot to think about from that post. Brave of him to write it. And I'm actually kind of glad I saw it go around Facebook a bit, but it didn't seem like, like blogs picked up on it and wrote think pieces about it and kind of further capitalized on his candor, which is good. All right, Kurt, what else do you want? We don't have to do everything this week. What do you want to plug? Well, I do want to mention, Jeff, that there is an actual Lincoln Park ward in <laughs> in the Port Angeles, Washington stake. So is it spelled like I wasn't just making that up. But it's not spelled like Lincoln Park, right? And this is not like Lincoln Park, not the band, right? But uh, anyways, um, that's our note right there. Uh, what else we got? Uh, I just want to give a shout out to Jeff uh, Borders, right? That's his name, Jeff. Our good old buddy pal, um, Jeff Borders, yeah, does some great content. He wrote an article on This Week in Mormons called The Convert Files. Do I make a difference in my calling? No. And uh, Jeff, buddy, listen, this should have been published on LeadingSaints.org. I'm just saying, this is more of a, a leadership and calling Jeff, article. don't listen but to I'm Kurt. I'm glad it got out there. Kurt is like the Disney of LDS organizations. He's just sucking <laughs> everyone right. up, controlling everything, and ruining art. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm I'm soon going to buy out This Week in Mormons and, and add it to my streaming service. You're only going to do it for our intellectual property. You have no interest in the brand. <laughs> That's right. Soon it'll be This Week in Mormons and nobody will ever be able to re- recall a time where Jeff Openshaw was running things. All right. I'm going to do two quick mentions and then I want to, uh, oh, maybe I'll do three mentions. One, Elder Rasband went on the record slamming the uh, adoption ring that was run in Arizona by a Latter-day Saint involving some Latter-day Saints. I believe he called it despicable, in quotes. You don't usually get that kind of language from a uh, from a general authority about something. Let me make sure I quote him correctly. I think it was despicable, but I just want to make sure I don't. Uh, oh, sorry, we're just as disgusted with it as anybody. Disgusted. The details of this case are sickening. There are also plans to review this is interesting, though. He says there are plans to review Peterson, the man, the, the, the Maricopa County assessor involved, Paul Peterson. There are plans to review Peterson's membership after his criminal case is resolved. The fact that he's a Latter-day Saint does not exonerate him. What's interesting about that is I thought the, the councils, no longer disciplinary councils, allegedly, we've heard about that too, but those are supposed to be run at a local level. This is an apostle, I'm basically just straight up saying, this is going to be looked into. When as far as we know, is that not supposed to happen at that level? 
I thought this only happened from local leadership, Kurt. That is very... I'm sure there's some encouragement. That's very interesting to me. Also, Light the World Machines are dropping around you. If you're in Utah, of course, you will see them, but you're also going to find them in Manila in the Philippines, Las Vegas, uh, Laie, Gilbert, Arizona, Denver, Colorado, San Jose, New York, New York, and London, England. Why they continue to refuse to put one up in the Washington, D.C. region is beyond me because we could use some beloved cheer and do goodery around here. And I don't know why they don't. And uh, lastly, I'll just throw this one out there. President Uchtdorf wrote a great little Facebook piece about unity because it's been 30 years since the Berlin Wall fell and the man keeps a piece of the Berlin Wall on his desk desk next to a picture of Christ. That's how important it is to him. Obviously, he was born in, you know, he he understood East Germany. All this stuff is a big part of his life. And so the unification of Germany was a huge deal. And then he pivoted and talked about how Do we put up walls in our relationships? Do we need to tear them down? We'll link to that. We'll embed it actually with this this, uh, episode. Before we go, I just want to give a shout out to a handful of our listeners real quick. Last week, Jared and I had a bit of discussion about um, some ceiling rooms and things in a couple of temples, especially we were talking about which temples had ceiling rooms off of the celestial room. And we got a lot of responses. I was actually very, I loved all you guys wrote in to tell us, to, you know, set the record straight, just to help us understand a couple of things. Um, so th- a couple of shout outs. Thank you to uh, good old Alexander Williams for letting us know that there is indeed, he's, he explained that the celestial room off of Card at Cardston doesn't have a ceiling room right on it, but there's like a heavy curtain across a hallway and there are, uh, ceiling rooms. So I thought that was very interesting. He also had some thoughts about our discussion from last week, if you didn't hear it, about LDS and uh, aligned schools and how weird it was to be involved in one at B- as a Canadian, which I can imagine. That must be very, very awkward. Uh, and also we had another listener write in whose email I seem to have misplaced. I cannot see it right now for some reason in my inbox. Ah, ceiling rooms in celestial rooms. Corey Ward beloved listener who, uh, you know, collects pictures of the interiors of temples as a hobby. I love people's hobbies in this world. What a wonderful thing to do. And he went on to explain the various temples that have ceiling rooms off of the celestial room. So St. George has two ceiling rooms from the celestial room. Uh, Logan Temple likely had them prior to its 1970s renovation, which made the temple very special on the inside. Manti has it. We've known that. Salt Lake has it. There are two ceiling rooms in between the Holy of Holies. One was originally for the living and the other for the dead. But he's pretty sure they stopped being used at all after they built the ceiling rooms in the annex, which is probably true. Uh, The Mesa Temple did have a ceiling room off of the Celestial Room at one point. Idaho Falls is the one we've learned from a, a handful of comments that it does have ceiling rooms. There's two small ceiling rooms from the Celestial Room. And the Los Angeles Temple, as we talked about, uh, last week, that yes, they have um, a couple of ceiling rooms off the celestial room and scattered all over the place. So I just wanted to give a shout out to our listeners for writing in. Thanks for the uh, clarification. And I think you mentioned something. I was listening and you said something about like you kind of feel weird when you start like roaming the temple, right? Um, <laughs> and I know you can uh, you know Salt Lake Temple Explore. people don't don't like that, but I was uh, we were at the Idaho Falls Temple, my wife and I, just a few weeks ago. That's the temple where we were sealed in and. Uh, we were walking down the hall and we thought, oh, our the room where we got sealed in is just up those stairs. You know, let's just go take a look at it. But yeah, we sort of have that feeling like if we get caught, we're going to be 
drug out of here in handcuffs or something. But um, yeah, yeah. my mother-in-law, who works at the temple, said they actually make it a point to tell temple workers that it is completely appropriate for people to to roam the temple and to, you know, they don't have to be going somewhere, you know, directly or anything. Do you, do so, you think uh, that is a like a temple president policy versus a church policy? Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. But I, I would hope that, you know, I don't, a lot of time. Was, I remember one time as a state presidency, we wanted to spend some time and, and have a brief meeting after a session of the temple. And so we just found a random, one of those really small meeting rooms that have just a handful of chairs. And we just went in there, sat and sort of had a presidency meeting. Huh, but that's we, all, we kind of felt the whole time like, I think we're if we get found out, we're out of here. Yeah. But I wish they would maybe make that more available because obviously it's not appropriate in the celestial room to you know, have a presidency meeting. But uh Still, it was nice doing that. And I've had some, I've had some experiences like that too. I was, um, there was one time I was in the LA Temple for something, and I think I'd never seen LA Temple has one of the large assembly halls on the top floor, like like a handful of temples. Yeah. And a temple worker's like, "Oh, you've never seen it?" He's like, "Just go up there, go up to go up to four, check it out." Yeah. I was like, "Okay." So I just like took an elevator up there by myself, and like I've said about the LA Temple, there's this this floor that has just this, it's got this giant assembly hall, you know, the classic thing with the the pulpits on either end and all that stuff. And there's just a couple of scattered ceiling rooms also on that floor. Just the same place. LA Temple has ceiling rooms just ducked all over the place. Yeah, it's a ginormous building. A temple that's there, I think it's funny you said the people in Salt Lake don't like you wandering around. That kind of cracks me up. Yeah. But uh, the Manti Temple, I don't know if you can fully wander, but they are very proud of their cool heritage there. And there, if you actually ask a worker to like show you some of the historical things in the temple, they will be delighted to show you the staircase that was that's architecturally interesting because the way it's built that the each step supports the load of the one above it. So the support system is unique the way it's designed. They'll show you. I remember seeing there was some kind of a secretary, like a desk, that was of historical significance. There's like a mini museum in Manti. So if you go to Manti, ask the workers to show you some stuff, and they'll be happy to do it. Nice. Yeah. All right, then. I think we're going to call it this week, everybody. Are we done, Jeff? Yep. We we made it? It's over, man. Ugh, this is always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Always Kurt, I hope your uh, Leading Saints live goes well, everybody. Go see Kurt. He'll tell you jokes. He plays music. Does all kinds of things. That's right. I'll tap dance and juggle chainsaws at the same For time. For fun, will you talk to the audience and do any draw you funny type illustrations as like part of the You know, I thought about maybe I can raffle off a... Uh, caricature you know and uh, draw some people but no that probably will not happen but you can follow my caricatures at draw you funny or at draw you funny on instagram there you go so <laughs> no, that was a good time so th- kurt thanks man good luck with that this weekend we'll check in with you soon we'll do if it. i don't talk to you before uh, thanksgiving have a good thanksgiving in the states well thank you same to you everybody appreciate you tuning in and taking all the time to do so and for your constant vigilant love of this program we can't do it without you so thank you for that and thank you kurt again we hope you all have a great week i'm jeff that was kurt this is this week in mormons be well be holy and be happy this week in mormons this week in mormons this week in mormons